I'm going to assume, uh, we're in this family series, so I'm going to assume that every one of you had some kind of communication malfunction in the past seven days with a friend, with a spouse, with a, with a parent, with a child. You had some kind of communication malfunction this week. I'm not even going to get you to raise your hands because I'm just going to assume that it happened. And uh, for some of you, it wasn't just like an isolated incident. Uh, it is revealing an ongoing pattern of poor communication and it's compromising uh, the health of your home. Now, I can say this, that it very rarely happens for me and Cheryl. We've been married 29 years. It very rarely happens uh, between me and Cheryl anymore. But, uh, you know, uh, but because I was preparing this message this week, Cheryl blew it big time. <laughs> She's not in this service. I say whatever I want. So... <laughs> Yeah, that actually isn't true, but we, we actually, you know, I'm preparing this message on communication. I'm talking about the home, and we did have a communication breakdown on Thursday that was entirely my fault, and uh, that happened just before I was leaving for the office, uh, you know, to come and prepare a message, and um, thank you, Lord, uh, for showing me my, my need of this, and, um, and, I, and again, I'm, I'm pretty much assuming that we're all in the same boat on this. So learning to talk to each other is really critical and it's indispensable if your home is to be awesome, which is the goal of this series, for every home represented in this room to be awesome. And I hope that you think that that's possible. And so we're going to work through a number of scripture passages to see that today, particularly around the um, topic of communication. And, and here's what we're going to go after. It's God's plan and very possible, I hope you believe that, it's God's plan and very possible for you and your family to learn how to talk to each other in a loving, God-honoring way. Amen? You want to go after it? You do not sound convinced. (laughs) I'll pray. Maybe that'll help you be convinced. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we've uh, come to this place and knowing, knowing that we're going to get Uh, your word open in front of us and and knowing that we are going to hear from you. And in this case, we're going to hear about something that's super practical, just the way we talk to each other. And God, we want, I'm going to pray on behalf of everybody in this room that we want this. We want to be a blessing to one another. We want to speak words of life to one another. And so God, I pray that we would be uh, leaning in to hear what you have for us today, that we would be thinking about our own relationships and our own home and how we respond personally to that. And God, that you would begin a work right here, right now, of transforming us and transforming our homes for your glory so that they reflect more fully who Jesus Christ is. And so God, thank you for hearing this prayer. Thank you for being with us and giving us this time together in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Are you more with me now? All right, here we go. Uh, It's God's plan and very possible for you and your family to learn how to talk to each other in a loving, God-honoring way. First, let's acknowledge the problem. Let's acknowledge that there is a problem and what exactly that problem is. I'm going to get you in your Bibles. Turn to James chapter 3. We're going to come to that in in just a moment. Um, And even as we acknowledge the problem, I'm not saying that there aren't times when we actually do get this right. And in fact, that's where James takes us right away. In, in chapter uh, 3 of, of his letter, verse 10, he makes it clear, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. From the same mouth come blessing and come cursing. In other words, sometimes we get this right and sometimes we don't get this right. 
Proverbs 18.21 says exactly the same thing. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who love death will eat the fruit of death. Those who love life will eat the fruit of life. Both blessing and cursing coming from the same source. But James goes on to say in verse 10 of chapter 3, he goes on to say, these things ought not to be so. I mean, he's writing to you and me. He's writing to believers, and he's saying, I get the reality that sometimes we bless and sometimes we curse with our words, but that's not the way it should be if you genuinely love Jesus. This isn't the way Christians go about it. For Christians, the words that come out of our mouths ought to be blessing and blessing and blessing because there's nothing more powerful than words. Novelist Edward Bulwer-Lytton wrote, and he wrote in French, so I'll say that he wrote, La plume est plus fort que l'épée. Anybody get that? La plume est plus fort que l'épée. Okay, well, the francophones in here got that for sure. Uh, the pen is mightier than the... The pen is mightier than the sword. It was just in his novel uh, on Cardinal Richelieu, and he was talking about the French Revolution and how, you know, rather than fighting an actual war... If we would simply win the hearts of the people through our words, that would be mightier than any battle that we could uh, fight. And he, so he meant it in the positive sense of revolution and overturning a government and bringing life and liberty to people. But the negative of that, the pen is mightier than the sword, the negative of that is true as well. If the pen is mightier than a sword, then a pen can also cut, a pen can also maim, a pen can also kill. In fact, Proverbs 12, uh, verse 18, and I'm just going to give you the first part of this verse and we'll come back to it later, but Proverbs 12, 18 says, there's one whose rash words are like, are like a sword thrusts. They cut, they maim, they kill. And you look at the imagery that James uses to make his point. Now we're at James chapter 3. I hope you still have it open there. But James 3, 5 to 8. Here's what he says. So the tongue is a small member. It's just a little part of your body. Yet it boasts of great things. And he uses a couple of illustrations. He said, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. When you look at, at forest fires and wildfires that happen around, around the world, the vast majority of them are caused by lightning, but the ones that are caused by people are caused by two things. One, they camp and they don't completely put out their fire. They might douse it with water, but they need just a little ember there, and that ember, just you'd think it was nothing. And hundreds and sometimes thousands of, of acres of land get burned because someone was careless. And the second most common is they flick a cigarette butt out the window. They don't think it's anything. And hundreds and thousands of acres of forest land are, are burned down as a result of this carelessness. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small, just a spark, just an ember. And then he goes on to say, and the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire, let's call it what it is, set on fire by hell. 
For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. You might get to the end of that and just go, so what hope do we have? So discouraging to hear just how desperate the situation is around uh, our communication and the use of our tongues and the words we speak. Joe Stoll gives some perspective to this. He writes, this statement is not intended to cause despair. It's not hopeless or to justify continued failure. You know what? I'm never going to get over this. I'm just a talkative person. I say things. I just say what I'm thinking. I just have no checks on me like that. It's just the person I am. I, I can't, I'm not going to change that, okay? It's definitely not that. It's not a, a means to justify continued failure, but rather to let us know that self-initiated effort is worthless. In our desire to transform the tongue from a hellish fire to an instrument of constructive communi- communication, we find ourselves up against a task of supernatural pr- proportions. Therefore, transforming our tongue requires supernatural strength. If this is such a daunting task and no human being can tame the tongue, then what we need is something other than a human being to help us do it. We need the Holy Spirit. Transformation is only possible because of what Jesus Christ, in fact, has done for us on the cross and giving his life for us. The only way to battle this restless evil and deadly poison, as James describes it, is through the power of the resurrection in our lives because no human being can do it. It's as insidious and as destructive, James says, as hell itself. So we need the Holy Spirit. We need to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. And then we need to pray this prayer before the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for taking my sin to the cross, for taking my penalty. For listen, every lie I've told, Jesus died for every lie you told. For every angry word spoken, for all the unrelenting criticisms that I have made, for every cutting thing I've ever said, all the boasting, all the tasteless humor, and every curse word I've ever uttered, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to acknowledge the problem and and in that begin to find the hope and the solution for it. And then, notice this next, then check your attitude before you speak. We have Christ. We've we've acknowledged the problem. We've confessed our sin. We have Christ. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And now it's with the Spirit's help, I'm going to check my attitude before I say anything. Now, in the first message in this series, a series called The Fam, we're looking at family relationships, and we laid down some necessary attitudes that we have to have if we're going to have an awesome home. We saw those from Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, and we looked at how our behavior flows from our attitudes. And so as we look at how to talk to each other, talking to each other is a behavior But it's not a behavior that happens in isolation. It's a behavior that comes as a result of the attitudes that we have. In other words, the things that we say 
are flowing from things that are happening inside of us. Not merely a response to external circumstances. Our words are never spoken in isolation. Kenneth Boa said it this way, our speech is not neutral territory. It's informed and shaped by our character. The key to taming the tongue is not the tongue itself, but the heart. Now, you remember from last week then, the, the whole picture that we had here, let's see this next slide, the, the, the whole picture is that everything starts with belief. What do I believe? And then based on what I believe, I develop a set of values. And whatever those values are, that informs our attitudes and every behavior, every action, every word we speak flows from all of what is the backstory to it. It roots all the way back to what I actually believe. And so, let's run this through the grid. If I believe, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if I believe that every single person in this room is created in the image of God, we are the image bearers of God. Therefore, what, however I treat you, whatever words I speak to you, whatever actions I perform towards you, it is as if I'm doing it toward God himself because you are an image bearer of God for good and for ill. I'm doing it, in other words, as unto Christ, whatever I do, whatever I say toward you. So I believe that you are created in the image of God. You are an image bearer of God. Therefore, my values will be shaped around that. I will value you. Every person in this room, I value as an image bearer of God. And my attitude that I need to drop into place then is an attitude of love. I'm going to love you as I love Christ. And my actions are going to reflect in that. In that I want to do what blesses you, what affirms you, what esteems you, what builds you up. And so none of this happens in isolation. It's all rooted deeply in our hearts. That's exactly what Ken Boas said. It's what Joe Stoll said. And so uh, turn to Matthew 12. You'll see this again in a more negative kind of example. But Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, verse uh, 34, and uh, 34 to 37. And I'll just set this up. So Jesus is having another encounter with the religious leaders, and these are the Pharisees. And most of his encounters with the Pharisees were not great at all. And we're often very negative because the Pharisees were always trying to trip him up with some question and, and, and get him to commit some blasphemy so that they could accuse him of something. So it was a very contentious relationship as it was. And Jesus comes right out of the gate and he says to them, because they are so evil and because they're compromising God's people, he just calls them out right away and, say, and says, you brood of vipers. I would not recommend you calling people a brood of vipers. Okay, but Jesus, like he's coming with the authority of God and he's calling out these religious leaders and he's saying, you guys are nothing but a bunch of snakes. That's what he's saying. How can you speak good? How can you claim to be religious leaders who are leading people to God? How can you claim to be good? How can you speak good when you are evil? He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. From belief, from value, from attitudes, we commit our behaviors and our actions. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth 
evil. This is what James said, out of the same mouth proceed both blessing and cursing, and then it ought not to be so if you're genuinely one of mine. And Jesus goes on to say, I tell you, on the day of judgment, this is so important, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. How many people are like, yeah, I do not want that to happen, right? Every careless word we speak, we have to give an account for that. These are the words of Jesus. For by your words, he goes on to say, for by your words, you will be justified, saved, and by your words, you will be condemned. Now, let's straighten out our theology here for a second, because what this is not saying is that if you speak good words, that saves you, because that would be moralism, that I'm being saved somehow by the good works of speaking the right kind of words. And that is not what this is. So it's not moralism. We're not saved by our good deeds or by our good actions. But this is that your words indicate whether or not the Holy Spirit is already in you. It's an after the fact thing. So your words are telling me whether you're saved or not. They're not saving you. They're telling me whether or not you're already saved. So maybe you claim to love and follow Jesus Christ. But by the way you treat people with your words... There's absolutely no evidence of that. And the people around you who hear you say those things and who are the victim of your words, I mean, that's what they're actually thinking. I mean, how could this person actually be saved and say that? How could they cut me down like that? How could they lie like that? Your words show your heart. Your words show whether or not you're genuinely saved. Then obviously this works in a positive sense too. And Jesus points that out. Some of you are so encouraging in your words and you pour out blessing in people's lives. And that is evidence that Jesus is in you and his Holy Spirit is controlling you and you are a conduit of his grace to others. And it's awesome when we see that. And because this is a family series, as that applies specifically to our homes, we ask ourselves, are my words, now to come back to Galatians 5, and 23 and those attitudes we looked at last week, this is what we want to be asking ourselves. I'm checking my attitude before I speak and I'm asking myself the question, are the words that I'm speaking loving toward this person? Are the words that I'm speaking making for peace or are they creating contention? Are the words that I'm speaking reflecting my patience? I mean, God is so patient with us, isn't he? Are my words expressing patience with the person I'm talking to? Do I even need to, to say anything right now? Or should I back off and, 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 and pick another time to say something? Are my words kind? Are they good words, honest words? Are they words of integrity? With my words, am I showing my loyalty and my commitment to you? Are my words gentle, humble, meek? Are my words reflecting that I am self-controlled? Or am I flying off into a rage and saying whatever comes to mind? That's the fruit of the Spirit. Those are the attitudes that we have to have as we're speaking as followers of Christ. 
That's the attitude check. So attitude check done. How about this next then? And this is really a practical outflow from that last one, which is self-control. Listen to this one now. Listen more, talk less. Listen more, talk less. You want to say it with me? Listen more, talk less. One more time. See, that's awesome. Solomon said this way. There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to be silent and a time to speak. And so communication, we're we're talking about communication and throwing this word around. But communication is not simply the conveying of words or information, the transferring of information, but it's actually achieving mutual understanding. You understand the thing I was saying. I understand what you're saying. We've come to an agreement about the meaning of all of that. That's actually communication. In the word communication is the word commune, which reflects on the word oneness, that we've actually come to this place of agreement and oneness about this information. Proverbs 18.2 speaks to this issue. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. You know a person like this? They don't care what you think. They don't care that communication happens at all. They don't care that it's mutual. They simply want to tell you their opinion. Okay, Proverbs calls that out. It says that's foolish. That's not communication. Proverbs goes on to give us a bunch of little cautions. Proverbs 10, 19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Okay, that's a talk less verse. That's, that's the more you talk, the more you sin. This is why sometimes I hate my job. <laughs> right? Okay, Todd, this is your job. You prepare something to say to several hundred people every week. You're just going to talk for 45, okay, 46 and a half minutes. You're just going to kind of unload all of this. You're just going to be the one talking. I know this proverb. The more I talk, the the more susceptible I am to sinning. It would just be better to sit at home and be quiet and not say anything. The more you talk, the more you sin. Proverbs 21, 23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Amen. Let that be my life verse. It's a talk less verse. We have to listen more. Proverbs 18, 13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. How often have I been guilty in conversation with people and while they're talking, I'm just thinking about the next thing I'm going to say. I'm not even listening to them. Am I the only one ever guilty of that? Or is there some other people here? You're guilty of that? So like it's literally, it's like watching, you know, one of the Charlie Brown Peanuts cartoons, right? And you're just, and the adults are talking. So while the other person is talking, all I hear is wah, 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 And then, oh yeah, well, this is what I think. And out comes the thing I've been thinking about the entire time. Come on, you're laughing, but you're guilty of that too. It's folly and shame, the scripture says. Now, here's James' take on it. James 1.19. Know this, my beloved brothers. He's talking to us. He's talking to believers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Less talk, more listening. 
And so when it comes down to it in really practical terms, how can I really listen to a person? I'm going to give you four things that are going to help you with this. All right? So, so this is listening. I hear with my ears. Well, that seems pretty obvious, but I'm actually listening to the words that are being spoken to me. I hear the actual words, and I hear them in an undistracted way, which means men use the mute button or the pause button, or better yet, just turn off the TV and listen to what your wife is saying. Yeah? Too close to home? Throw the remote away. Smash it. I don't care. Do whatever you need to do. But if you're trying to watch, I know this from personal experience. Cheryl barely talks to me anymore during games. She just knows better. But how much better that I just, I'll turn that off for a second. Something important needs to be said, needs to be heard. So I listen with my ears in an undistracted way. And then you, you listen with your eyes. So I'm, I'm looking at you as you speak, which means I'm going to have to put down my iPhone. I know some of you, it's actually fused to your hands. But you're going to have to learn to actually release it and put it away so that you're not looking at this while someone is talking to you. But you're looking at the person right in the face because, listen, communication isn't just the words. We're talking a moment about all the nonverbal cues that are happening during communication that help to make communication work, but you're not going to get the nonverbal cues if you're not actually looking at the person. We listen with our ears. We listen with our eyes. And we listen with our hearts. In other words, with our hearts, we make the statement that we... We want to hear. We want to know what you're saying. So I'm not, I'm not listening because I have to. I'm not listening because you want me to hear you. I'm listening because I love you so much. I value you so much that I want to hear the words that you're saying and I want to understand them. We listen with our ears we listen with our eyes, we listen with our hearts, and then we listen with our minds. So I'm listening to actually understand what you're saying. And I'm processing, because I've removed all the distractions now, I'm processing all the things that you're saying. And if at some point I don't understand exactly what you said to me, I'm in a place where I can ask the question, could you just explain that one more time to me? Could you give me another example so that I can really understand what you're saying? That's not going to happen if you're not listening with your mind. And if you haven't decided that you want to listen with your heart, that I really want to hear what you're saying. And if you're not picking up all the nonverbals with your eyes and hearing the actual words with your ears, then once you've listened, once you've got that, Choose your words carefully and watch your own nonverbals as you communicate back. Now, before we get into the verses here, the reason social media, email, and texts are so poor in communicating is because they lack the nonverbals that we need for effective communication. And, you know, when I hear our words being, you know, our tongue being compared to the pit of hell, social media is like the first thing I think of. 
Because there's so much evil, there's so much anger, there's so much in the way of accusation that's going on on social media, and it can be such an unhealthy place for us. And so when I think about all of that and the need for effective communication, we, we, we hear with text messages and with emails, emojis kind of sort of help us now a little bit, okay? Because we can put a little text message and then to make sure that the person knows we don't hate them, we put a little winky face and that, that, that helps communicate. But it actually really does. It's, you think of the emoji in terms of it's a nonverbal communication of something. But listen, that's so far from the idea of face-to-face. Because we hear what's being said. We get the content in an email or in a text or in a social media post. But we don't know the way it's being said. We don't have the tonality. And unless someone's using all caps, we don't have the volume. (laughs) We don't have the posture of the person or the facial expressions. And so then what we do is we get the content And we go, what do they mean by this? And then we read into the content whatever we're feeling. And we assign to the message what was not necessarily intended by the author. And so we want to choose our words carefully. We want to watch our nonverbals. We want to communicate in a way that's going to honor the people we're communicating with and honor the Lord. And the motive for this is Proverbs 25, 11, and 12. I love this. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. In, in other words, when, when we get this right, it's precious. It's invaluable. So when we're dealing with an unreasonable person, somebody who's like super angry with us and expressing that anger, their voice is rising. It will do us no good to return that with more anger. Would you agree? If the volume is increasing, does it help that we also increase our volume? The word of God would tell us no. That's not communication. That's not precious. That's not valuable. Returning anger for anger just gets us more anger. Proverbs 15, 1 and 2 tells us a soft answer. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise or the tongue, you could say it this way, the tongue of a Christian commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. Again, loving, peacemaking, coming back to these attitudes, patient, kind, good, honest, all of these. The Apostle Paul weighed in on this in Colossians 4, 6. He says this, Let your speech always be gracious. How often should your speech be gracious? How often? Always. Every single time you communicate, it should be a conduit of God's grace from him to you and from you to the person you're talking to. So there is never an occasion where we should be ungracious in our communication. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So our speech should be winsome and in good taste and joy-filled and life-giving and impactful in a good way. 
This is what we're going for. Is your speech like that? Is it gracious every time? Then I, I know what we're up against. This is tough stuff. I mean, you talk about being in a family and all the range of communication that happens in, the, in a family in a given week. Husbands and wives talking to each other. That can be super challenging. And, and, and really, the number one challenge that we face is that there is a communication gap in marriage that exists because of the differences in our genders. And we live in a culture today that's making a mess of understanding genders. Okay, just making an absolute mess of it. They don't, they don't even have it figured out. And they just keep making up new stuff about genders. And the simple truth is this. Men and women are different. Does that make sense? Everybody who's married gets that. Men and women are different. Many of you will know the book um, Love and Respect by uh, Emerson Egriches, and some of you have studied that book, and we've run that study here before, um, and it, it speaks to this very issue. And Egriches talks about the fact that men and women don't even really speak the same language. In fact, he says that each of them has a code. They speak in code, and neither knows what the other code is. And that's, so that's the challenge of marriage, right? So then he gives this example. A husband and wife are getting ready to go out. So they're up in the room. They're getting changed. They're getting ready. And she, you know, she goes and she looks at her clothes and she goes, I have nothing to wear. And by that, in women code, by that she means I have nothing new. I have nothing new to wear. Well, husband, he's over getting ready and he goes, I have nothing to wear. And in husband code, that means I have nothing clean. <laughs> we're not even speaking the same language. It's all in code. And yet we're being asked every time we communicate with one another, it needs to be filled with grace. Parenting is the same thing. Parents, I just want to let you know, especially if you're like kind of newer, younger at the parenting game and your kids are just kind of getting a little bit older. I just want you to know your kids think you're stupid. They do. They think you're stupid. They don't think you know anything. They, you start to have conversations with them about, you know, kind of how they should live their life. And they don't realize that all the principles of growing up are exactly the same and have been exactly the same since the beginning of time. That all the changes are the cultural trends that are going on around us. But the fact of growing up is exactly the same. We go through the same pressures. And kids, if you're in the room, please understand, your parents do know they're not stupid. But then you're going to have this conversation. Your nine, ten-year-old's going to come to you and say, Mom, Dad, I need an iPhone. <laughs> need an iPhone? I need an iPhone. You can't have one. But, but, but. Everyone in my class has one. Okay, first of all, what's wrong with all the other parents if that's true? Because your nine-year-old probably shouldn't have an iPhone. But you have this generational gap. It's a gender gap when it comes to marriage, but now it's a generational gap. And your kid is going to say to you, but you don't understand. You don't understand. It wasn't like that in your day. And all of a sudden you feel like ancient in that very moment. But this is the challenge that we're facing. So in your home, there's going to be like a whole series of difficult things that you're going to need to talk about. Every home has hard things that need to be discussed. And we need to consider carefully how we communicate these things. 
how we choose our words and what are the words that are going to be understood by the person that I'm talking to you to. And we need to watch our nonverbal. So let me, let me just very quickly run you through these questions. Choose in these times where I have to communicate why I want to say what I'm going to say. In other words, I'm going to check my motive. Does this even need to be said? Do I have a, a good motive for saying what I want to say? And then I, I, I want to ask who I want to say this to. So I want to make sure I pick the right person. If it's in my home, I, I want to make sure just that person is there. And sometimes parents were guilty of rebuking our children in front of the other kids, in front of their brothers and sisters, and it's not necessary, and it's actually damaging. Sometimes a husband or wife feels the need to critique their spouse in front of the children. This should never happen. Who should be there? for this difficult communication. What you want to say, this is the choice of words, and then how you want to say it is the nonverbals, the expression, the amount of intensity I want to bring to it. And then when and where I want to say it is just picking the right time. Do I need to let things cool down? Should I be in this room or that room? I want to make sure I don't do it publicly. Can we go over here and talk for a minute and just respecting all of that? And if we follow this and, and kind of run all of our communication through that kind of a grid, listen, we're going to be getting much closer to being a blessing to one another as we do this. And this is what will help us, notice this finally, keep it pure and life-affirming. We have to talk about doing things differently as believers. We don't do things the way the world does things. Because we want to have the awesome home that God intends for us. And so if there, and I know some homes here are going to be described by these things. If there's anger, if there's yelling, if there's vulgar language, if there's hurtful words being thrown about, let's decide right now that needs to change. If that's what your home is like, that needs to change. If you are a child in your home, teenager, whatever, that needs to change. There are no teenagers who are using the fact that they're a teenager as an excuse to speak to your parents the way you do. And parents, we don't demean our children. We don't look down on our children. We respect our children the way we talk to them. We want to keep it pure and life-affirming. If something is offside, it needs to change. It needs to be transformed. The goal for your family and for your home is to speak Christianly to one another because we're claiming to have Christian homes. We saw the first half of this verse earlier. We're going to put on the second half of it now. Verse, uh, this is Proverbs twelve eighteen. There is one whose, whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Maybe that's where your home is right now. But the tongue of the wise, of Christians, of people who believe the Bible and trust Jesus, the tongue of these people brings healing. Do your words harm or heal? The Apostle Paul spent a bunch of time on this in, in Ephesians 4, knowing how much this affects the church family. In our times together like this, in the small groups we go to, in the serving teams, and the one-on-one conversations you have with one another, this is a family. Even as we talk about your particular family and these principles from God's Word to make it awesome, we're trying to make this family awesome because this family is going to eternity where we're going to spend all of forever with our Father as, as the sons and daughters of the King, as brothers and sisters of one another. We're, we're going to try to get it right here. And so Paul's spending time talking about that because he knows how challenging it is. 
So he says in Ephesians 4.15, rather, speaking the truth in love, that's the key phrase, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Speaking the truth of love is, I speak these things because I love you and in a loving way. I speak these things because I love you. It's not a loving thing to withhold truth from people, but it's also not a loving thing to say truth in a harsh and unloving way. Speak the truth in love. I'm saying this because I love you, and I'm saying it in a loving way. And then he continues on, verse 29 of Ephesians 4, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And by that he means any kind of worthless or thoughtless speech, gossip, slander, we could spend a lot of time on those two, making light of what is sacred, any words that are hurtful or cutting, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And so is our speech encouraging? Is it edifying? Is it warm? Is it building up? Rather than tearing down, are our words conveying grace to those who hear? Is it life-giving, life-affirming, pure? Because that's God's plan for our homes. To talk to each other in a loving, God-honoring way. It's another step toward us having awesome families. Now, I'd have a hard time believing that anyone in the room who loves Jesus couldn't think of at least one incident in the last day or so when you said something or said it in a way that you shouldn't have. I don't think that'll be hard at all for most of us in this room. And this message exposes that for what it is. If I said something I shouldn't have said or I said something in a way I shouldn't have said it, it's sin. That's what it is. It's sin. It's keeping your home, it's keeping your marriage from being the awesome thing that God wants it to be. So listen, I'm thinking the best way to close this message is to give you a time in in prayer and reflection around all of this. And so we're going to get quiet in just a moment here, and we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. And, And this is a precious moment because... If your life is like mine, it's hard to find quiet moments to think about these things during the week. Life gets busy, work comes flooding in. The kids are going in a hundred different directions. And so we're going to take advantage of a precious time that God has given to us at the end of this service to think hard about these things. So the first thing is going to be this. Are there any words that I need to repent of? And by the way, that may include going to someone that you've hurt with your words and making that right. But laying that before the Lord, God, forgive me for, and tell him what it is. And then agreeing with what you've heard here today from his word. I agree with that. I want that in my life. And making your commitment before him to have that. And then recognizing that it's impossible because no no human being can tame the tongue pleading with him to send the Holy Spirit to help you. Go ahead and and close your eyes and bow your heads. It's just for you and the Lord right now. I'm going to give you a few moments. Joel's going to play. And then I'm going to pray and we'll close our time.